Hello, I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Scott Soshnick. On this weekly podcast, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. On this week's show, Scott and Evan speak with John Mugar, founder and CEO of the basketball tournament. But first, let's look at the top stories of the week. Joining us is Bloomberg Business of Sports reporter Evan Novi Williams. And let's start. Hey, Mike Trout, you've got to participate more. We want more participation. What is this all about, and why is MLB kind of upset with it? Well, leading into the All-Star break, bar, there was this, I don't know why, but there were a lot of stories written about why isn't Mike, why isn't Mike Trout more popular? There seemed to be some great consternation about why isn't Mike Trout getting more attention? So I guess the commissioner, Rob Manfred, was asked that at the All-Star game, and he said Mike doesn't want it. He doesn't participate in this sort of stuff. He's decided in his free time, he wants free time. So if Mike Trout wants to be more popular, wants to be pushed, he has to be a willing participant. And then after seeing him mic'd up, and I know this is going to be subjective, Evan, and you can you can yell at me if you want to. After listening to him mic'd up during the outfield, during one of the, one of the innings, I can see why he is not one of the more popular guys. I thought it was, of the players who were mic'd up, I thought it was the most boring segment. I didn't see the segment, so I can't comment on Who's that. Who's the dude from I the Rockies? Who's the dude from Charlie the Rockies? Charlie Blackman. Charlie Blackman. Charlie, yeah. but he, yeah. he was mic'd up. He was great. Personality. Fun. Like, Mike Trout was limited to, yeah, um, you know, uh, he's a pretty big guy over there. Great guy. Great teammate. Really like to watch him play. Sure, but there's there's two things going on here, right? There There's probably whether or that. not Mike wants to be a star and whether or not baseball can do more to, to make him that way. Or B how much an athlete's pure talent should make him well-known within a country that, that counts baseball as its national pastime, right? I mean, there's – I saw the Q scores, which is a company that measures someone's popularity across the country. Mike Trout, the NBA player closest to Mike Trout is Kenneth Fareed. <laughs> the animal! That is <laughs> The animal! That is where Mike Trout, the, the best baseball player – the best baseball player for, for – Five or six okay, years where, now. And where is Kawhi right Leonard? Now. Where's Kawhi Leonard? An much, MVP much candidate. You think he's higher? Is he than, much higher than Kenneth Fareed? Yes, I would think he is. I don't know. I know. My, I can tell you this: the team needs to win first and foremost. Your team needs to win. They're a game over a ballpark. Is 500, 15, 14 games out of first place behind Houston. That that matters too. You would think and, that interest or not. The fact that he is people so know good, him. head and shoulders, they don't. That's the point. Uh, I they, think they, they, they know him like they know Kenneth Fareed. Well, and that's I, not I, good. I, I wouldn't put him in a commercial because it'd be one of those things. And I hate this. You know when they have to say in a commercial or something, "Thanks, Mike Trout." Like they'd have to do that because I don't know. Just, See, I'm, I'm a fantasy baseball player, so I can't really fathom why people would not know Mike Trout. But that's another story altogether. Yes, don't mind is. me. Yeah. All right. And let's talk to another slugger, Bryce Harper. Well, he kind of had a sloppy season so far but from a batting average perspective yeah but he, the shift it's unfair yeah, the shift, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let's change the whole game because Bryce doesn't like it he's still gonna get 400 million dollars as a free agent but he tore it up in the home run derby gave the national fans something to cheer about and he gave the national fans something else and I'm sure the Nationals front office is like yeah thanks Bryce we we appreciate what you did I, I like the Nationals taking a bit of a promotional having some fun with this where they they took a dollar off the price of lower tickets for each and every home run he hit what he totaled what 45 45 yeah so yeah. it's just so and it's up to a dollar so it just so happens they have like 46 dollar lower bowl seats so you can get one dollar <laughs> tickets now thank you Bryce Harper Great idea by the Nationals. 
we're talking about it. I'm sure the fans are talking about it. And it was one one heck of a show, even though there was very little, quote-unquote, star power in that home run derby. Yeah, we've talked on the show about things that baseball can do to appeal to a, a younger or different or bigger audience. Uh, certainly feels as though the home run derby has been a, a win. The, the ratings might not show it this year. Again, not, not too many huge names in it. But for people who did watch it, it did seem as though this new format has been uh, a big success for what is, you know, what is one of baseball's biggest non-baseball game properties. Did you watch it? I, I know Medina wants us to move on, but I, I got to get to it. Did you, you you saw the home run derby? Mm-hmm. I thought the guy throwing to Harper was like some strength coach. Often that'll be it. <laughs> did you see Harper's father? Yeah. The dude looks like Gabe Kapler. He could get in the box today and hit 35 home runs. He I thought is. it was his, maybe his brother. He looked strong. He looked jacked. Gabe Kapler. Yeah, like that reference? reference? Yeah. Uh, that was like the, the my, that's my muscly big. That's my, my, I think he's got a higher Q score than Mike Trout. <laughs> By the way, congratulations, American League, for winning the All-Star Game over the National League in 10 innings. Good for them. And now, let's talk about, oh my goodness, the National Football League. They're losing money. All oh, the ratings. That, <laughs> no. Because according to the Green Bay Packers, they are cleaning up. Once a year, I step into deja vu. I was going to say, Eben has a template for this story every year. There you take it The the Packers release their earnings. You get on a phone call with with Mark Murphy, who's their president. um, And every year, it's the same thing. Revenue is up for every year for the Packers since 2003 on the back of escalators within their TV contracts and some new deals on for Thursday night. Uh, shared revenue is up. It's it, the, the league distributes $8.1 billion. And correct me if I'm wrong, right this, now. this was exempt the relocation money. This is without the relocation so you got, money. You got which that they put come in. in too. You have two teams paying, what, 500 600? Uh, yeah, so it's going to work out to about $27 million per NFL hey, thank team. Thank you very much. For nothing. Um, <laughs> it's amazing. And, and yeah, the, there has been a lot going on in football in the last year, a lot off the field. We had a sponsor in Papa John who was blaming the league for, for decreased sales. TV ratings are down. The the, the player protests during Trump. the anthem have, yeah, p- exactly, Trump's criticism. All of that to say that in across, across 2017, NFL revenues went up a pretty good margin. Hey, you know what? I think I get the rest of the day off because... How can we tell? Well, <laughs> Scott, Scott and Evan are going to take it from here. We'll miss you, Barb, but I think we can handle it, right, Evan? Let's get into our interview with John Mugar. He's the founder and CEO of the basketball tournament, the $2 million winner-take-all event that takes place in the summer. He is also a producer and writer. John, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. The basketball tournament, it's a its a bold name. Uh, for fans out there who don't fully know the property, give us a sense of what the basketball tournament is. It's an annual single elimination winner-take-all tournament in the summer for $2 million. So we're headed into our fifth year now. We have 22 games on ESPN. Um, and so it's open to anyone who wants to put a team in, and that was really the, the premise behind it. It's like FA Cup, except for basketball. Now i got to disagree with Evan. Uh, the basketball tournament is a bold name. The basketball tournament. The. Like the Ohio State University? <laughs> the Ukraine. How much thought, uh, John, I mean, we're, let's look at this from a business perspective. How much time did you spend on what should we name this thing? Six weeks. That's a long I have, time. I have so, a yeah. pretty... Pretty well, pretty well documented in in past email conversations with um, the the person I spent the most time conceiving of this with, my friend since seventh grade, Dan Friel. But we went back and forth, and 
the, the premise here is do you want to call it what it is and save the marketing dollars to educate people on a new name like Zazzle or something like that? Or, or do you just, you know, it, it, it was a pretty simple decision. We just had to call it what it was. Did that include a trademark search, et cetera? People forget about this stuff when you're starting a business. You have to do all these things. Yeah, uh, we should do that. <laughs> was, if you haven't heard from anybody, I think you're okay. Was Throwback <laughs> Thursday a thing when you, when you made this? The, the TBT I love acronym, that question. I feel like that's, that's the competition, right? I love that. So it was not a thing. And I, I'm, I'm on record prior to Throwback Thursday as getting in before it became a thing. And I looked at the origin of Throwback Thursday recently, and I think Kim Kardashian was the one who really blew it out, and that was six months after uh, I was on AOL privately talking about it. Gosh, so she owes you royalties, I think. We're both Armenian, so I'm going to give her a pass. <laughs> I think the Kardashian boyfriends could have a really good team. I know, I know. That was that's been a thought too. I, I think they they'd be pretty good. That's actually a good transition. Tell us how good the the teams are. I mean, you're you're midway through this tournament in 2018. The prize money, two million dollars, that goes just to the winner. Certainly a, a good enough incentive to to allure some of the best in the world. How how good are the teams in the basketball tournament? Yeah, I mean, initially, I'm a Division three basketball player. I went to Tufts, and I thought my friends and I would be able to compete. Um, we'd lose by 130. Easy. We had last year, in last year's tournament, we had 16 players go on from TBT to sign deals with NBA teams. We have over 60 players this year with NBA experience. I think about 400 to 500 of our players are current overseas professionals. So the, the, the caliber of play is unbelievably high and it's a caliber i didn't even know existed outside the nba we've talked about this before i've kind of always wondered if i know your goal is to make the prize a little bigger that if the prize gets big enough that that there is enough incentive for you know five nba all-stars to do it or if their contracts allow etc but i know that you think that i mean these are teams also that these they practice during the year are you at the point now where just a team of all-stars might not do as well as, as people might think they would well, no. I, a team of all-stars has just traditionally not performed very well in the event. I mean, to your point, though, like the, you, you said, you know, that I, the original idea was to have the, the prize be a little more, but the original idea was actually a $50 million prize. And um, like last year in Baltimore, we had Carmelo Anthony at the games. So he, he kind of was instrumental in us going to Baltimore, and I I well, he, well, he never wins, so there's one uh, entrance we know. <laughs> sorry, well, I sat down with, that right was here. from my New York listeners. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I sat down with him during the game. I said, you know, just so you know, we, I'm, I'm going to try to raise this to $10 million someday. And he looked at me and he's like, I'll play for that. So I don't think I'll have to go as high as 50 to get Carmelo and his friends in there. We are chatting with Don Mugar. He's the founder of the basketball tournament. And, John, let me, let me tell you here about my, uh, my looking into – how you did this and the pitfalls. I just had to look at your Twitter feed because it wasn't long ago you put this out. And you have quotes. You don't say who it was, but you just put a quote out there. With all due respect, at the end of the day, it's just another tournament. You can add all the bells and whistles you like, and parentheses, even large cast prize, but it's still a bunch of guys, some former college and one former two pros competing. How is this unique? That was some sneaker executive, and I'd love for you to tell us who it was, in 2014. And can you talk about that? as well as how many people told you no? Yeah, that was brutal. I mean, that, that, that one was uh, poster board material, brutal for sure. I mean, there, there are only so many sneaker companies that do basketball, so you can probably figure out. Yeah, so least. who from Nike said no? <laughs> you can figure out who's involved. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, we, we've been, we were told no a lot. We were told we were crazy 
a ton. Um, this initially was a PowerPoint deck, and I was coming into this from, I didn't have a sports business background. I was a comedy producer and writer in L.A. So, you know, when, when I go into a, re, a meeting, you know, with the sports business people and they see this idea, which everyone loves, they're saying, you know, how, how the heck can you pull it off? Was, what was the, the main concern? Was it that, that a, a guy with, a, with an entertainment background couldn't do it, that fans wouldn't watch it, that you wouldn't attract talent? What, what was their concern? It, it's really, you know, everyone can find the reason not to do something. It's different every time, but I think it boiled down to people really not wanting to upset their comfortable lives and take a risk on something that was new, on someone that was new and unproven. Uh, a lot of people had questions about the, the officiating. Would it be possible to ref games with this type of money on the line? You know, what, what's the security going to be like? Are these games just going to erupt into brawls like three seconds into the game? How good is the play going to be? Are people going to be interested in how good the players are? And these we just have, sort of they, had to put that on ourselves. John, these all there. sound like credible questions. If I was going to back a venture, they don't sound like insane questions to me. I'm just wondering, did you have the answers? They were insane questions. No, they were very credible. And, I, you know, I had, to, I had to give people what I predicted would happen. And, unfortunately, you know, I, I'm not very good at spinning that tail. So we, we actually had to put this event on with our own funding and resources that first year to prove to people that the caliber of play would be that good, that, you know, games would be very tightly officiated and, and security would not be a concern. Does that mean emptying out your 401K and calling mom and dad, I need a few bucks for something I'm trying to do? It's gone. Yeah, all of yeah. that's gone. My relationship with my parents is gone. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, when you put a deck together, I mean, a lot of people just go sort of that to that finance page. What's the in, the out, how long to profitability? What was your runway to profitability, and how close are you to all those projections? I gave myself, I gave it five years. So, I, in, in, you know, getting into it without understanding the marketplace is, is one thing, but I, I, I gave it five years. That would have been this year. We're not going to be there yet. I feel like we can. I feel like we're, we're extremely close to getting there this year. But I think we'll get there next year. So one year off is not bad. We're speaking with John Mugar, founder of the basketball tournament. John, let's talk about revenue streams. I mean, uh, your revenue streams look a lot similar to to what a lot of sports properties are, right? You have sponsorships. You have TV revenue. You have ticket revenue. Um, how different is your business, albeit smaller, than you know the NBA, for example? Yeah, it's the same, it's the same revenue streams, and that always kind of shocks people because they always ask, you know, how do you come up with the with the the, the prize and all that? And well, and you run it down, and they say, oh, yeah, okay, that makes sense. You know, it comes from TV, it comes from sponsorship, ticket sales to a smaller extent, merchandise, a little bit from players, but we really try to make it free for them. Um, so it is, it's the traditional revenue streams and. Getting a partner on like we had in uh, in Puma this year uh, really kind of validates that revenue stream even more. We're speaking with John Mugar, founder of the basketball tournament. Puma, you were kind of part of what was a, a pretty dramatic week or 10 days for Puma uh, in, in late June. You know, the, the signings they had before the NBA draft, uh, the pop-up shop they had in Brooklyn. They are your uh, official apparel sponsor. How long had you been talking to them? I think a lot of people were kind of caught off guard by Puma re-entering basketball so so viciously. About seven seven or eight months we were talking to them. So mm-hmm. let it be known we can keep a secret. Um, <laughs> we, we had no idea that their, their entry into basketball would be this dramatic. 
Um, but they, you know, on record in an interview, they, they you know, they've, they've stated before that they chose two properties to re-enter basketball, and the NBA and, and TBT were those two. And, like, we, can, we really, in addition to having an awesome brand that people love and young people love and our core consumer loves, they, they're a challenger, just like us. And they, they saw exactly what TBT stood for, so it was just absolute perfect timing. What does TBT stand for? We stand for democracy in sports. So we, the idea is you want to give someone the ability, a super fan, you know, this, this experience of watching an event one year on their couch and then being able to actually get up and get into that event as a player, a coach, a GM. So eliminate all the barriers that exist between the fan and a professional sport. You mean like skill? Skill, but more, more so evaluation. Like there's so many people that have to evaluate you and so there's so much subjectivity that goes into that. And, you know, people call it, quote, unquote, politics. But it's more to, to put forward a model that eliminates as much of that as possible and just gives anyone the chance to play for it. I mean, this is really, John, we're talking about a startup. And startups frequently make mistakes and founders along the way say, ooh, I wish I would have done this differently or I didn't know this. What were your mistakes and what have you learned? And if you were going to advise the next young entrepreneur out there who's going to take a shot and a risk, what would you say to them? I aimed very high early on, and it took two years really to get get from idea to implementation. So by hanging on to that fifty million dollar, ten million dollar prize for so long, I think I probably delayed the beginning of TBT by a year, and that gave Kim Kardashian and the TBT folks on the other side, the hashtag folks, a good head start on me. So I think I would have probably started more modestly. We came out of the gate with a, with a half million dollar prize early, and I think that getting to that earlier would have been the best way to go. One of the things that, that, that has certainly evolved as your tournaments become bigger, this idea that, I mean, a lot of your teams come as reunited college teams, and with that, tap into pre-existing massive fan bases, um, and also universities that have a lot of money and coaches who coach there. Now, you know, there, there, there's a lot of college basketball overlap, and I know you smartly put the, the tournament in the summer at a lighter time in the sports calendar. Uh, did you foresee the relationship that you were going to have with with colleges and their fan bases, or did that kind of come out of uh, come out of the blue? It was always an initial idea. Like we, we, it was always very important to us to brand these teams to the best of our ability to to something that would tie into an affinity group that exists out there. So instead of like five people who play basketball at the YMCA coming together because they all like each other and they're good players, these people join and name themselves after an existing group that has a fan base whether that's a college team with an alumni group like that Syracuse Bayhams Army team, or it's a charity like the Challenge ALS team that can tap into people who you know, are, are involved in the fight against ALS. So we knew we wanted to give brand and give these teams that identity. And, and part of that, too, is the logo creation, because we create logos for these teams. We kind of help them name themselves and that sort of thing. Uh, John, you're talking to a Syracuse alum, so you mentioned Bayhams Army. The question I have, and I ask this of folks who are involved in college sports, and I think I know where you're going to go, I think. If, let's say, Ohio State football team played Michigan, but they weren't allowed to wear the school colors or identify themselves as Ohio State and Michigan, where is the real value? So if those players from those two teams, one team wore blue, one team wore white, nobody knew who they were, nameless, faceless helmet, but they were going to play, how many fans would that draw? And is the real affinity here, the attachment to the institution, and it's the emotional tie, is that where you are capturing these fans, particularly with teams like the Syracuse team that gets together? 
Yeah, absolutely. Like, the, I, and I get into this a lot with people. I, I don't think the caliber of play is as important, or that the skill level or the talent of people playing is as important as, as what they're playing for and what they represent. So, and I often say this, like with with baseball. Like, if you if you just rounded up some people playing, you know, semi-pro baseball down the street and put them in a Red Sox uniform, you're still going to fill Fenway Park. But if you take these Red Sox players like Justin Pejoy and David Price and all these people that people know, household names, and put them on a park down the street, in a, you know, a little league field, and they're just playing, they're still going to get 200 people to go. It's not the caliber of play. It's the historical context of the event and people's relationship and past relationship to it. So you want my, the, the joke I made to Eben prior to the show. I'm like, well, who wants to see Fat Eric Devendorf play? Because I think that would have been one of the questions that people would ask going into this. But you just answered it. It's not solely about the quality of the play. It's about remember remember when. It's about the affinity and the attachment and the emotion, which is something that Peter Guber talked about a lot when he was on this show, and he's one of the owners of the Dodgers and, and, uh, and LAFC and the Warriors. He understands emotional connection. How can you strengthen those ties between the fans you have the fans you want, and this product? It's, it's by continuing to, uh, to encourage teams to brand themselves in that, in that way. So when, when a team comes to us and say, or a high-level player comes to us and say they want to play, you know, that's what we get to work on immediately. It's like, think of this as you progress through TBT and win more games and get on the ESPN. Like how are more, more and more people going to align with your team and going to become fans of what you're doing and, and this group of players that you have. So you, ha- you have to keep it kind of organic and, and let people find that cause or network for themselves. But we really, really push people in that direction. And speaking of Peter Goober, he was one of the early guys I pitched to, by the way, when this was just an idea. And I went through this 10-minute preamble with him. And, and too, there long, like too long ten- for Peter. Too long for Peter. Ten minutes Way too, too long. long. And there was a 10-second pause when I thought I lost him. And he just he, he said... So James Worthy can play in this if he wants to. Yes, he can. <laughs> said, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Would it, would it be great to see like Kareem Worthy Magic? That would that would be interesting. Get, get blown out in the first round. <laughs> yeah, now we know those names, but John, who are who are the biggest names? Who are the household names that folks who aren't familiar with the tournament that they say, oh wait, wait that sounds familiar. I know that guy. We have a lot of household. So we have a lot of current players who coach teams. Uh, in the NBA, current NBA players that coach teams. But this year, household names as far as players go, like Jimmer Fredette is probably one of the biggest ones. Greg Oden is a player that's registered. Uh, Jared Sullinger is a registered player. Matt Barnes, same thing. So the UCLA team is going on to Atlanta. Matt was there um, for their second-round game two days ago. So he was just on the Golden State Warriors. So there are a lot of guys like that. Uh, a lot of former – Aaron Kraft is another pretty prominent one. So a lot of, a lot of people that college basketball Ohio State? fans – Aaron Kraft, Ohio State? Yeah, right. immediately known. Two, two for me. What, and what people don't know is like is guys like Aaron Kraft, and he'll tell you this. Like he graduates at a pretty high level from Ohio State, but he'll go and get three or four times better in the in the three years that he goes overseas. So he comes back. He's extremely, extremely in shape, playing basketball at a high level. So people tap into that. Are there any women playing? And might there be a women's tournament? We've had 17 women play historically. So some, some women um, will enter as general managers, but we've had seven women players, some of them on co-ed teams. We had an entirely female team a couple of years ago called the Pistol Shrimps, who were uh, models and hairdressers in L.A. <laughs> um, that, and they actually lost 
by 130. How would but, the UConn women's team do? How how would the full UConn women's team do against your champion? Let's say. Oh, I mean, it wouldn't be a contest. Our champion it would would is extremely. Uh, they they I think they'd beat them by quite a bit. But I but they, like the the WNBA plays unfortunately during our season. So the the idea of like assembling a best of the best women's team and putting them in TBT could they go a round or two deep? Like I think it's possible. Are are current NBA players allowed to play? According to me, like I'm I'm open to all. And that first year, I remember like Rudy Gay called us the morning of of the tournament or called someone on the staff the morning of the tournament and said, "Hey, you know, I want to play today. Is that possible?" And we have this whole registration process that lasts for months, so we couldn't get them in, obviously. <laughs> um, but so we're we're open to that. But you know, it obviously always gets shut down with the player and his agent as he starts making the mathematical decisions and look at how much he's guaranteed to play to to make in the NBA, and then you know what's at risk and that sort of thing. College students not allowed by virtue of the NCAA rules, correct? If they want to maintain an amateur status, then they can't because we're a professional event. Gotcha. So, John, who's next for you? If you're looking to expand, and let's put it in business parlance, if you're Serie A, Serie B funding, I I know you went to Peter Guber. Who else in the sports world did you talk to? What did they say? And are you looking at private equity investment, or where is the the, the next big investment coming from? Um, we, we should be good to go. Uh, we, we've been entirely independently funded so far, and we anticipate staying on that course. So I, I've kind of, we, we went out a few years ago to have conversations with people like that, but um, we, we see a pathway, and we're far enough along now that we're not going to have to do that anymore, uh, which is a very fortunate thing. So I've talked to a lot of people like that, and, you know, I'm one of the, the many thousands of people who send a blind email to Mark Cuban now and then. He always responds very friendly. Um, but, but, yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I take it, take it from be... me. He doesn't always respond very friendly. He responds, <laughs> but he doesn't always respond very friendly. Just kidding, Mark. Yeah, he you know, I love you. Yes, he, yes he does. 3 a.m., you send him an email, he'll respond. Yep, yeah. And, um, but, yeah, so I don't think we'll be roadshowing it or anything like that. One of the advantages that you guys have as a as an upstart property and as a smaller one, you can be more innovative. You know, it it, it costs less and, and and there's less kind of hurdles to get through for innovation. Uh, you guys a couple of years ago started having you know player teams move themselves along a huge bracket, which has been since stolen by the NCAA. Um, you're also experimenting with the Elam ending. Uh, tell us a bit about what that is um, and, and other things that you look at in the sport of basketball professionally or at college and you think you know what this can be done better and i can be the one to kind of pave the way for that yep yeah the the elam ending came to us two years ago when um i received a 67 page powerpoint deck at the info at the tournament.com email address just blindly from this person who's a basketball fanatic member of mensa middle school principal in ohio in his 30s Cincinnati Reds ground Sloan by Sports night. Analytics Conference attendee. <laughs> exactly. And he personally DVR'd 2,000 basketball games over a, a four- to seven-year period, NBA and college basketball, and found that out of those 2,000 games, 1,000 of those games went the route of, direct, or of uh, intentional fouling at the end of the game, deliberate fouling, for the trailing team has no other strategy to prevent the game clock from running out but to foul the, t- the team that has a lead. So a thousand of those games went that route, which is frustrating for fans. It prolongs the game, etc. And out of those thousand games, only 15 of them 
saw the trailing team come back and, and win. So he found that this strategy is entirely ineffective, but it happens in half the games. So he gave me the solution, which is to shut the game clock off entirely at the four-minute mark when there's four minutes remaining in the game, select a target score by taking the leading team score and adding seven to it, and the first team to hit that target score wins. So that it's, it, it basically solidifies which team he found mathematically is going to win uh, sooner. And it, it, we're putting it in play this year, and, you know, it's a very – it's a great idea. It has a lot of merit. You know, the NBA is watching it. They're on record as saying that they think it's an interesting idea. NCAA is, you know, these people are all watching it because there's no other basketball this time of year. So we, we really feel like between that and, like, the bracket celebration that the NCAA has adopted now, feel like we're out front and we, we can be a trendsetter because we do occupy 44 hours on TV over this very, you know, two-and-a-half-week window of the year. I can hear Dwight Howard's ears perking up right now. You mean you mean there's no there's no fouling at the end of the game? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, the, the hack a shack thing would still happen if a team feels like that's the best strategy, but there's no fouling to to prevent the game clock from coming out. John, lastly for you, sometimes you need to be lucky too, and you are sort of growing up in an era of OTT services and and cord cutting and. Certainly a lot of folks out there in need of programming, and to be affiliated with a brand like ESPN, you chose that route. Uh, it's a great opportunity, not only for the basketball tournament, but for other knit sports and things seeking attention and a home. Yep. We, we streamed our championship game live on ESPN3 back in 2014, and they, that came to us because somebody there emailed me like maybe 45 minutes after the first game tipped off and saw it was real and saw Marshall Henderson playing the Ole Miss player, former Ole Miss player. And so they said, hey, what are you doing with the championship game? Let's stream it live. And now five years later, you know, we have 15 games on ESPN on the main network in addition to six on ESPN2. So they, they've, been, um, they've really grown this property along with us, so we're very fortunate for that. So last question for you. You're five years in now, so let's go another five years. TBT 2023, what does it look like? Who's playing in it? What are they wearing? And, and, and what's the prize? Ooh, I would say it's definitely international at this point. We have events um, playing into the U.S. bracket in, we'll, have, we'll say, four to eight countries at least. Um, that prize is going to be a paltry $5 million, uh, and they're wearing the unbelievable uniforms that we've been wearing for the past five years, so that's an easy one. Better than my answer, John. I would have said TBT, TBD. But <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> Feel free to use without footnote. <laughs> thank you. Hey, John Muga, founder of the Basketball Tournament, thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. And takeaways from John Mugar. For me, you know what? It's the fact that he did it. Half, half of the takeaway here is just he had an idea with a buddy. And how many times have you heard that story, Evan? That, oh, we had a great idea. Yeah, we talked about it. And it fizzles and nothing happens. This guy took the risk. And that's a great lesson. He had the idea. He believed in it. And as we heard, plenty of people, this unnamed shoe executive that he would not name, plenty of people said, what are you, nuts? No, that doesn't work. What makes this special? It's just basketball tournament. How is it differentiated? But he said, I don't care. I'm going to go do it. I believe in it. They tried things. They got some things wrong. They overcame. They kept going. And he seems to be building a property. Whether or not it just happens to be a little bit of luck at the right time of OTT and distribution, whatever it is, he's got some footing now. 
and he's headed in the right direction. Yeah, it certainly seems as though the climate is right for for this kind of thing, and basketball is certainly very conducive uh, to, to to this format. Uh, my takeaway is that these these kinds of smaller sports properties may be the things that induce a lot of change across bigger properties. You see the New York Times story on niche sports and, and OTT? I did not, know. Yeah, check it out. There's a big story okay. in the Times about, is this what's going to propel? And and the photo they have, I think, is the arm wrestling league. Interesting. Which is yeah. perfect. And you, right. we heard John talk about the Elam ending, the way they're ending yep. basketball games. The NBA would never do that on its own, but... If this is successful and people really like it and the NBA can use the basketball tournament as a test case, that's something we might see in the NBA moving that's forward. That's what the D-League is for. You, you experiment in the other leagues. Sure. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. All right, we have our number of the week, Eben, and we discussed it, full disclosure, there's sometimes we do, sometimes no we don't. 49.99, and a lot of people never thought they'd see the day where this club would be participating, but here are the New York Yankees. Yeah, I, I consider myself part of those people who was was surprised. And it's targeting you. Yankees, You're the kind of guy exactly. they want. Yeah, so the Yankees are offering a uh, Yankees ballpark pass. It's general admission to Yankee Stadium. Uh, standing room only, no seats for all of the Yankees home games in August. Uh, this is something we've seen in the uh, in baseball uh, across the league in, in various places. Aimed at, at at the casual fan, the the, the millennial crowd, mobile only. It's you want you want to go tonight. You Great, have let's to get go. the tickets wanna, through the MLB app. Data, data collection, everything they're looking for. Exactly. So the Yankees get your get your information. Um, you get to go whenever you want. You can be flexible about the dates. Fifty dollars, certainly not a high yeah. number. And you know what get. standing room only means? By the bar. Yeah, or, so or high finding, margin, or high margin finding items. Finding an empty yeah. seat or anywhere you well, want. <laughs> they said they may actually give you a seat at some point. They may give you a seat if there's if there's nothing else available. But a lot of times you're talking about in those bar sections in the outfield. And you know what? A few drinks more than the margins. It's some good take for the home team. No, it's it's the New York Yankees are in on it. All right, Eben. Thanks so much for pinch hitting this week. And I do hope Michael Barr is enjoying his time off. You've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. We're here each and every week for you at the same time, exploring the world of money and sports. You can follow me on Twitter at Soshnik and Eben Novi Williams at Novi underscore Williams. You can also download the show as an Apple podcast on iTunes. 